So, are we live on the camera? All right. Welcome, everybody that's uh, online. Pray for Leela. And uh, we, uh, we miss you, Leela. Glad uh, she's always watching. So I hope she's watching tonight. She may not be, but she'll watch it later probably. All right, if you have your Bibles, we're in our, our body life study. And uh, we've been cranking through this. I'm on a new section tonight. I have new handouts, fresh handouts. So can I get someone, anyone, to help me with these? Jeff, thank you. And uh, <clears throat> today, tonight, we're talking about identification. Identification. So... This study, of course, if you're just joining us, we're talking about how the body fits together and how you fit together in the body of Christ. We've already covered provision and protection. That's one of the, uh, when we defined, you know, really what the church is, that's what we, we spent a lot of time talking about, how the church uh, provides and protects and uh, just talked really practically about a lot of things in regard to our relationship there. And then the function of the local church, our place in the local church and how we function. We talked about that. And then we just finished up a section a couple of weeks on relation, how our relationship with God and others. We talked about the vertical relationship and the horizontal relationship and how that affects our relationship in the body. And so uh, tonight we're going to be talking about identification. Uh, and this deals with who God says you are, right? Who does God say you are? Uh, and so now this is pretty elementary stuff for many of us, I know. But actually the more I... Even though it's it's somewhat basic, it's still very profound. So uh, there's a lot that can be said about about this, and then of course the other things where we're going. So we covered these. Just kind of walk through this, and um, here we go. So tonight, <clears throat> this lesson is designed to help us consider our identity. And you might, Jeff, you might want to just put those on the connections counter. Yeah. And if someone comes in, if somebody comes in, they're looking for a handout because, you know, people trickle in as the night goes on. Just send them out to the connections counter and ju- and they'll be out there so, so people can get a hold of them. Um, so there's. <clears throat> I forgot. Oh, so this lesson is designed to help us consider our, our identity in Christ, regardless of our feelings uh, or experiences. And boy, oh, boy, today, uh, as I was prepping this, I, I thought, you know, what is very, you know, rudimentary to many of us and elementary is at the core of some of our biggest social problems in our in in our country but also in the world i mean people literally don't understand uh if you don't understand who god is and what he's doing with man right you can never understand god's plan for the universe this earth or your life so identification is a big deal and the local church is a big deal and our part in it so all of this is is really even though it's fundamental it's fundamental. It's fundamental to society. It's fundamental to uh, the order of everything going on in the world. So uh, these are some interesting. Uh, these are some interesting things that, uh, as I've been meditating on it, um, is really uh, been helpful for me actually in the context of current events. So there's a lot of talk in Western society about individual and collective identity. The Lord understands that humans have been troubled by their identity since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. The first homicide occurred when Cain felt slighted by his brother Abel, and he wanted acceptance and merit for his hard work producing those crops. Uh, And God uh, wasn't wanting that. Instead of the grace that was offered by identifying as obedient worshiper, that was not how Cain wanted to be identified. 
He wanted to be identified for his merit, right? He wanted to be identified for what he could contribute. And God said, well, that's great, but bring an offering. That's what I asked you to do. Go get it from your brother and bring it. And, of course, that resulted in the first murder. In the United States, there, there are many who are proud of their individual identity and liberty. Uh, however, our liberty doesn't allow the Christian to forsake his identity in Christ. So this was a big hubbub just last week. Uh, you know, we have a, we have a hockey player that wants to identify, uh, will not, you know, participate in, in a gay pride thing because he's, he doesn't want, that's against his, uh, whatever Russian Orthodox religion or whatever he's from. Probably, probably, I think he's Ukrainian, so he'll be Russian Orthodox. And, um, and so, uh, you know, it caused a big stir and, and all of those things. And again, it's all about identity. And, uh, however, our liberty doesn't allow us, right, to forsake our identity in Christ. So that actually governs, it buoys us, it helps us, uh, you know, know who we are. And, and too often we find our identity in what we do and what we have done or what we are doing instead of who we are in Christ. And, and by the way, I'll get to this in a minute, but there's nothing wrong with doing good stuff. Uh, we're saved unto good works. We'll talk about that. But first and foremost, our identity is found in Christ. So we'll talk about that tonight. And uh, probably next week, too, because I probably won't get through all this tonight. But in uh, our point, our first point of study here is in Christ, you are a new man. And so in Christ, you're a new man. And uh, even if you're a woman. So how about that? Talk about transgender. All right. So even in, in, in Christ, you're a new man. And so because of the finished work of Christ, this is really the most important thing that is going to happen in our heart is to know that we're forgiven. Because of the finished work of Christ, you are forgiven. So this is because of the finished work of Christ, uh, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right. So the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who did the work. In John chapter 19 and verse 30, the Bible tells us, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So when you hear us talk about the finished work, uh, that's not just like uh, that's not just like a adjective for something jesus did those are literally we're quoting what jesus said on the cross it is finished and so um so it is finished john nineteen thirty. so let me ask you what what work did jesus finish just uh let me use the mic here we'll pass it around or whatever i'll run it around so i may come out of the camera frame but i'm not going anywhere what what is, what work did jesus finish on the cross Okay, we'll give it, we'll give it, okay, we've got three people here. Go ahead, we'll just go around the horn here. It's warming up back here. Paying, paying our debt, being our atonement. Our um, atonement, yep. Paid our bill. Paid the bill. Same thing. Same thing, same thing. All right. That's all right. No, that's good. So, the atonement, anything else he did? I'm not looking for anything else. Ah, destroy, uh, I don't need this. Uh, Jeff says destroy the works of the devil. Yeah. All right. Those are good. Victory over death. That's a good one. Yeah. And and none of those are wrong. Those are all absolutely right. Um, And so, so, you know, when we we think about his work of atonement is the, um, which is, by the way, that word is a, if you go back and that was added into the English language, there wasn't a word for atonement in English. 
English comes well it comes from a lot of things, but the Saxon language and and a lot of and a, <clears throat> is a basis of much of it. So when Tyndale was translating, I think it was or was a Wycliffe. When Wycliffe is probably Wycliffe. He he brought the word at one moment. That's really what where atonement came from. It was it was it came together. It, he took the the root word in the Greek and brought it together in English and at one moment. So it made us at one atoned. We atoned for our sin, covered our sin, made us one with Christ. It's a pretty rich word. So atonement is actually in our language, in our English language, is not it's not some word that we borrowed from some other Greek from Greek or Hebrew or whatever. It is it was actually brought into the English language to describe our relationship. The word English word was created uh, so we could comprehend what atonement was. That's a side note. That's not in my notes, but I think that stuff's interesting. A little bit about the etymology of atonement. So we often point this out as uh, he clearly has another job at his first coming in addition to atoning for our sins, and that was to prepare faithful followers that we would call disciples, that's what Jesus called them too, to carry forth his mission in his absence. And so we're going to look at that here in just a minute. So when we when we're uh, when he was praying up, up in the upper room at the Last Supper, he mentions that he that he has already finished the work uh, of making disciples. Right. So John chapter seventeen and verse four, uh, the context here: he's in the upper room, he's going to go to the cross. Right. He's with his disciples, and interestingly enough, he says, "I have glorified thee on the earth," but he hasn't been to the cross yet. I have finished the work. Thou gavest me to do. But wait a minute, Brian. Now we got a contradiction. Because you just said that the work was finished on the cross. But that work that was finished on the cross was what we just talked about. The atonement. Dealing with sin. Right? Conquering uh, sin and death. Dealing with the the the, um, the uh, works of Satan. All of those things. Jesus handled those. Fulfilling the, the law. But there was also some other work that he was doing that was finished before he went to the cross. And that was what we see in Acts chapter 17, as it's it's a high priestly prayer. He's actually not talking to his disciples here. He's actually talking to the Father. And, and uh, it would merit going back and reading the whole chapter, but we're not going to do that tonight. But uh, as you go through that chapter and you read this high priestly prayer, Jesus is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He expressly is praying for his disciples. And he says, hey, uh, well, he didn't say hey. He says, Father, I've, uh, <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've finished the work that you gave me to do, right? And now, in essence, just kind of paraphrasing, I'm going to go die on a cross to do the other work because you love the world, right? John 3:16. I'm going to go die on the cross for the world and atone for the sin of the world. Um, but I finished the work of preparing disciples. And that's what he's talking about in John 17:4. So this, this uh, is before he goes to the cross to finish the work of atoning for our sins. He describes this work of making disciples further uh, in the text. And uh, again, if you do have your Bibles, you might want to open them there to look at this because there's a lot of text. He says in verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which have <clears throat> thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them, and now I am no more in the world. Well, yeah, he was, but he wasn't going to be long. So he's talking about his his uh, departure. But these are in the world, meaning they're going to stay behind. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those that thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name, 
Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition. Uh, by the way, that's a that's pregnant meaning there for a Bible study. Maybe after this, when we do QA, come back around to the son of perdition. Uh, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world that they might have that uh, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And by the way, I believe he offered this prayer after Judas had been released and left the room. So he's actually with the eleven at this point, uh, praying this in the upper room. And uh, he says in verse thirteen, "Now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world that they might have uh, my joy fulfilled in themselves." I have given them thy word, and the world hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. I pray not that thou, uh, that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for praying for us. That God would not, there's coming a day he'll take us out, but right now, uh, he says, look, I'm going to leave my disciples here. I'm going to go home, but they're going to stay behind. And uh, I want them here, but please keep them from evil. Uh, notice it's not just evil, the evil. And then he says in verse 16, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Now, of course, that past tense, he sent them out two by twos into the world, so to speak, as they went out and ministered and and they ministered with him, and he had sent them, his, you know, past tense, but he also, we know, was going to send them uh, after his resurrection, after 40 days, uh, he sends them to the world uh, to fulfill the Great Commission. All right, so again, for most of us, this is pretty fundamental. We understand that, and uh, it's important, but it does have a lot to do with the, fi- I mean, when you talk about the finished work, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. Jesus uh, did a lot, and that has a lot to do with the subject matter at hand, which is our identity. You notice as Jesus is going through talking to his disciples, what is he doing? He is separating them. He is sanctifying them. He is identifying them as as different from the what? The world, right? They are not like the world. It's ironic as we get to the end of the church age, so many of us, and I'll put my name in there, pastors, because I'm a pastor, you know, we want to identify with the world so we can win the world. But Jesus was like, no, I'm going to win the world, but I'm going to do it by sanctifying and setting my saints apart. My disciples are going to follow me. They're going to be like me. Look, they're even going to be hated like me. So I think maybe we got to go back and rethink this, um, this whole, uh, you know, crossing bridges business it might be better just to be close to jesus and let the chips fall so uh and be holy because he's holy you know imagine that just do what the bible says so uh so we okay so moving on here because this is important um so we saw that you know because of the finished work of jesus christ the son of god um we've been forgiven but we've also been equipped as disciples if you are a disciple so point two, we are forgiven of our sins because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has more to say about the work that he had to do. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, uh, the Bible says, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Right. So when Jesus came to the earth, uh, he, his meat, his, what fulfilled him was <clears throat> uh, doing what God's word said. It's the will of God. And um, 
and finishing the work that God gave him to do. He had a job to do. And by the way, you have a job to do. Now, we don't have to attend for, atone for the sins of the world, praise God, because that would be worthless. But what we do need to do is make disciples, right? So we've got work to do. That's part of our identity. Now, you can't make a disciple if you are not a disciple. Like begets like, right? You, you, you can't, you can't, uh, okay, so let me, newsflash. You can't make a human if you're not a human. All right, that's breaking news right here at Heartland Baptist Fellowship. Put it out on the internet. Let everybody know. You can't make a human if you're not a human, even though everyone's going to get more and more confused about that as the days go forward, right? Uh, you got to be a human to make a human. You got to be a disciple if you want to make a disciple. So our identity is important. Uh, obviously, the blood atonement's important too. We'll continue to extrapolate that out. So um, our work... And this is important when it comes to I want to I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because it's important, you know, to understand that distinction. There's a work of discipleship and there's a work of atonement that Jesus was doing. And for us, that work of atonement is is everything. Right. Because it doesn't do us any good uh, to, to try to be a disciple if we aren't atoned for. Right. If we're not forgiven of our sins. And so. Uh, that is that is of the mo- utmost importance. And a lot of times, the way the devil does things, he he tries to get us to reverse it, uh, to where we want to work our way into grace, which is antithetical, right? You cannot work your way into grace. There's really only two religions in the world. Ultimately, if you boil it right down to it, there is grace and there's works. That's it. Grace and works, and me- trying to merit. A standing with God to be saved or trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ and his shed blood to save you by faith. And not only trusting by your faith, but most importantly, putting your faith in his faith. Because he is the one that had the faith to purchase us on the cross. I mean, he's the one who actually fulfilled the words of God. So John chapter 6 and verse 28 says, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? So Jesus is rolling along with his disciples, and they're like, man, we're following you, Jesus. We want to do good works. Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. So the first thing that we've got to do, uh, if we, we're like, man, I want to follow Jesus, what can I do? Let me see how many jumping jacks I can do. Let me see how many Bibles I can make. Let me see how many times I can run around the church and, you know, whatever. And what, how many Hail Marys, you know, what, what do I need to do? Maybe you feel like, oh, I need to atone for my own sin. Let me beat myself into submission, you know. And, uh, and, uh, and, and again, it's kind of funny. Some of us chuckle. But the sad thing is, in Islam, there's sects of Islam S-E-C-T-S, make sure you get that clear, <laughs> that they'll uh, they'll take a whip with uh, shards on the end of it and literally beat their backs bloody doing penance to Allah, which is a pagan god, by the way. And so they're like, the blood just blow in the middle of the street. I, th- I think this is in Iran, Iran, Iraq, if I'm remembering right. I'm quite, not quite sure if they're Shia or um, uh, Shiite or whichever, but whichever one they are. Uh, there's a there's a group of them that will literally just, you know, beat themselves trying to to earn favor with God. Uh, just uh, what's that called? Uh, asceticism? Not a, is that asceticism? Yeah, asceticism. Now Roman Catholics do the same thing. 
historically. Now, maybe not any you know, but uh, that's part of the, that's, there's, that. That's the same. It's really the same thing, different name. And uh, and so uh, and so that is not how you gain forgiveness. Jesus was already he's already taken that on. So the disciples are like, well, hey, well, what do we need to do? What kind of work can we do? He says, well, listen, the work that you need to do is believe. You, you got to believe on the on, on him whom he has sent. That's where you got to start is, is believing. This is consistent with what Paul says about uh, our salvation and the work caused by Jesus' sanctification of our souls. So in in, um, in Ephesians two, and this again is a familiar to many of us, but it's worth it's the Word of God. So let's just kind of meditate on it a little bit deeper. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, because. He's right, right? If if we could earn it, we would be boasting. Look what I did to get my salvation. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So it doesn't take long, right, after our salvation to find out why we've been saved so that we can accomplish those good works. As a matter of fact, it might even be in our heart to want to please God um, even before we get saved. That goes against the whole concept of you're so depraved that you can't possibly have any thoughts about salvation until the Holy Ghost quickens you so that you can get saved. Now, God has given people that are lost a brain. The problem is they need, they need a Savior. And only Jesus Christ is the appropriate sacrifice for sin. So I'm preaching the choir. I think most of us know that or understand that. Um, I believe that even before I was saved, that Jesus Christ died on the cross. I didn't believe he was my Savior. I didn't believe that he was God. That was the part I was lacking personally. So I was kind of like, well, yeah, this guy died on the cross. Good guy, you know, historically probably accurate, you know, George Washington, Abe Lincoln, Jesus Christ, you know, Napoleon. <laughs> you just you got all these guys out there. But, man, once I realized, no, that wasn't just any old dude hanging on a tree. He wasn't just any old martyr. That was the Savior, the one and only. That's God manifest in the flesh. His atonement was special. It's the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, now I, now I understand. That is the only way, the only truth, the only life. You've got to come through him. Okay, so, so I like to say we don't work to be saved, but trust Jesus' finished work for salvation and receive it as a precious yet free gift. You know, oftentimes when we say it's a free gift, it is a free gift to us who receive it, but like... It costs a lot. Your salvation, my salvation, costs a lot. It's actually innumerable. It's, it's not even quantifiable. How precious Jesus Christ, I mean, you just can't, it's, and I can use this word in all, with a clear con. it is the, the immense, awesome, I mean, there's just no words for how awesome Jesus is, and, how, and that's what makes us valuable. It's not what we bring to the table, but what was brought to the table to redeem us. So, wow, man, God loves the world. While we were yet sinners. I love that verse when I got saved. That, that put together all that 2,000 years of history up till the time I was born. I'm like, oh, man, God was like doing this for everybody, past, present, future. I mean, his atonement is sufficient. And so, um, Wow. So we are saved under good works. 
First, we've got to know we're forgiven, though. We've got to understand, you know, where forgiveness comes from and that it comes through Jesus Christ. So point four on your outline. Um, when Jesus said it's finished upon the cross, the work of atoning for our sins, past, present, and future, was finished. <clears throat> and that means you are forgiven. That means you are forgiven. <clears throat> so you are forgiven. Now just take a deep breath there. Think about that. You are forgiven. The adversary is called the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12.10. The scripture says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And so, you know, I don't know about you all, but... I can know I'm forgiven of my sins and still yet feel like I'm not forgiven of my sins. Anybody ever? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that old flesh hangs around, doesn't it? So so those that's why that's actually why I'm having this discussion. Because our identification, the Bible says one thing. But you remember how I introduced this? It doesn't matter how we feel. It's what the Bible says is true. And so we wrestle with this. I wrestle with it just like you do. I've got skin on just like you do. So we, we do have this, this uh, carcass, you know, that hangs on our body. Hi, honey. Thanks. So uh, Satan and, and our corrupt and confused human emotions will do everything to convince us uh, that we have more sin then God has grace. Somewhere along the way in my life, when I was preaching at City Union Mission, that really set in on me. I would go through these four wild loops, you know, uh, of just, I talk about the Muslims and the Catholics, you know, beating themselves up. <laughs> but I was doing penance all the time, just not feeling worthy, not feeling like it was. And, really, and God got a hold of me as I was preaching God's gospel of grace, you know, for salvation. Uh, I'm, preach, I'm preaching, and I'm dealing with some guys, I mean some some bad dudes. I mean, not corn pop, but I mean some bad dudes that, that, that I mean, might have been even a little worse. Sorry, I can't help myself. <laughs> so, uh, so, so these are guys that uh, literally, I mean, you know, in Kansas City streets, some of the guys that, some of them aren't so bad, some are just dudes, and then others of them are some rough dudes. So, we're given that we're given the gospel. I'm just letting it put, and I believe in my heart of hearts, you know, it's good enough for them. And God's like, well, then why isn't it good enough for you? Well, yeah, Lord, I know I'm saved, but, but what? You can never really forget the atonement. Because if you do, you'll get in a four, what I call a four, when I say four while loop, that's a programming term if you've ever done coding. So you can, it's a, it, it kind of puts things in a loop. Until you get the right input, you can't move forward in the program. You're just sitting there going in a cycle, waiting, waiting for the right data. Uh, you know, do this while this is, do this while this is happening for a while loop. So, anyway, uh, and so I was at the mission preaching, and it was like God just I don't, spoke to me through the text that I was preaching and said, "Hey, Brian, uh, I have more grace." I mean, he used, he used this passage. I've got it coming up next on the outline there. i got it in your notes. 
Now, this is definitely a devotional application, but it's theologically solid. Okay, if that makes any sense. So James 4, 6, there's a lot more going on on this verse than I'm going to get into. But, but just the beginning of it. But he giveth more grace. Just that little bit is what just stuck in my heart. He giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Right? None of us got saved without a measure of humility. Because we had to bow our knee and confess with our mouth. If not literally, you know, uh, we had to um, have a contrition of heart. Because God won't refuse the broken and contrite heart. And so uh, the, the gospel of grace finds its way into the heart of the, of the contrite, right? The humble, the, the people who are willing to believe, as Jesus said, that Jesus is who he said he is. He's the son of God. And then receive... With meekness, the engrafted word, which is able to save our soul. Jesus Christ is the word of God. He is that seed. So he giveth more grace. So that passage is like, wow, he gives more grace. I like more grace than than you have sin. God so loved the world. I mean, there is no way. You cannot out-sin God's grace. And, of course, a lot of people quickly go, well, well oh, 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 no. That means you can do whatever you want. They're so afraid of human nature. Yeah, human nature thinks it wants to do whatever it wants. But don't you ever get fed up with sin? I know I do. Uh, amen. You got the, Ron says you got the Holy Spirit of God inside of us, right? We, you think we can trust the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the local New Testament church to... To not only save us by grace, but to live a life of grace? I hope so. So God gives more grace. And I, when I say that, more grace than you have sin. Now, I'll get to this in a minute, but just I'm going to jump ahead to some other verses I have in your notes. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Oh, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin, dead to sin live any longer therein? We'll get to that later. But for now, I just want to... I'm talking about forgiveness. Because forgiveness comes through Jesus Christ, the Son. He's the one who paid for the... Uh, it's the Father that sent him, of course. But Jesus Christ paid for our sins on the cross. He's the one that atoned for him. And uh, John 3, which I know most of us know this verse. But Jesus said in, oh, in 1 John 3, he says... John said, I should say, not Jesus. And John said in 1 John three nineteen, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him... For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. So this issue of, a, of, a, of a understanding the finished work and understanding forgiveness that the Father offers through the sacrifice of his Son goes a long way in getting your identity straightened out as a believer. And it's not like something you outgrow or you just kind of go, oh, yeah, I got that. No, I mean, I've been saved now for over 30 years, and uh, I, I still haven't gotten over that. I mean, I still, I still appeal to this um, daily. You know, my identity rests in this, that I am forgiven, that I am, uh, and I'll get to this in a moment, I'm a child of God. Uh, but the, the point is, is if you can't reckon with the atonement and the, and the capacity of Jesus Christ to atone for sin, you're going to struggle in functionally having confidence toward God so that you can go further under the good works that you already want to do in your heart. And by the way, 
If you weren't saved, you probably wouldn't want to do those good works, as Ron was pointing out, because the Holy Ghost isn't going to, you know, prompt you. How many of you, how many of you remember when you were lost? Man, were you eager to do, oh, I just want to go to church. Uh-uh. I went, I, I, my testimony, you can ask my aunt, my poor, not my poor, she's wonderful, my aunt J- J- uh, Joyce. I'd get, after Barker's Circus World, man, on Friday night or whatever, or Saturday night, break dancing, you know, and uh, then I'd go down to the, I'd have to go to, I didn't have to, but uh, the love of Christ was compelled. My aunt Joyce would take me to church, and there were some carnal Christians there, let me tell you. But man, it got to where, at first I, w- I went in, just didn't know what was going on. The only person with a Bible, even though I'd never read one, because my mom said, you need to take a Bible. She was. She hadn't been in church in a while either. She didn't know that people quit taking their Bibles to church even back in the in the eighties. And so um, I'm like, oh, Bible. Nobody else has one. You know, let's hide that. And then after a few weeks of going or whatever months, it got to be where well, I don't want. Why am I doing? I don't want to do this. Start getting convicted. Little Billy Ridings is saying, Hey, Brian, when are you going to go forward? Of course, I don't know in my head. I don't understand the blood atonement. I don't understand Jesus dying on the cross. I am convicted, but I don't know of what, and I don't know what he's talking about. I'm thinking i got to memorize the Ten Commandments or something and go get baptized to be saved. That's kind of where I'm at in my head because nobody really, and even if they had shared the gospel with me, I didn't fully grasp it, you know what I mean, because it is spiritually discerned. I heard the gospel plenty of times. I read the gospel out of a, a Bible. I mean, I, I had it outlined in my mother's Bible when I was 10 years old. I literally went through and highlighted the gospel. So just so you all know, the gospel doesn't just come to you because, oh, well, I read it. The Holy Spirit of God reveals it. Even if your eyeballs have laid, laid, laid their eyes on it, and intellectually you might even have concepts of it. Um, so my point is, is that my natural man, without Jesus... It wasn't long before, man, after the Sunday school service, I'm out by the door. I'm not even in the service, man. I'm just like, I can't wait till this ends. I got I got a, something else. I mean, the Chiefs are going to be on here in a minute. I got, I got to, come on, Aunt, Aunt Joyce, let's get out of here. <laughs> so, you're like, Ron's like, hey, you're still messing up the Chiefs game. But anyway, so uh, uh, I, uh, so make a long story short, right? I didn't want I didn't want to be with the believers. I didn't want to be at church. After after a while, I was just like, I don't want this. Interestingly enough, though, you fast forward the tape. I don't know, three or four or five years, however many years it was, and the first place I went when I realized God was trying to talk to me wasn't to my Bible. It was to church, to that very same church of which I subsequently got up and walked out and said, I'll never go back again. But anyway, it wasn't long I got saved, about two months later. So praise God for that. But the point is simply this, is is what is the point, Brian? Well, I don't know. I just got lost in a story. Um, you're not going to have confidence toward God until you receive God's forgiveness. And your identity has to be found in Christ. It's not what you do. Uh, it wasn't, oh, I was born uh, I've always been going to Heartland. I've always gone to church. You know, I've got two kids like that. Hey, listen, the kids got to come up and realize that this Jesus has to be their Jesus. They're not they're not absolved of their sin because they go to church, or their mom or dad or grandma is a great person. I've literally had. I mean, we've I've I've wrestled with people's minds here in Cass County that cannot get over that. 
well, I've always been a Christian, and my mom was a Christian. And Well, you may have always gone to church, but when have you, met, when have you trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? That's what I'm looking for. I mean, I'm not, I, don't, I know your mom's a great mom. Great. Praise the Lord. But when did you get saved? When have you trusted Jesus Christ? When did you realize you were a sinner? Because you're not a saint until you understand you're a sinner. Because Jesus didn't die for saints. He died for sinners. Anyway, your identity, right? If you don't understand those things, if, you, if the Holy Ghost hasn't revealed those things, then you don't really have the proper identity. I'm going to keep working on this as we go. So, um, so let's keep moving. So we see that because of the finished work of Christ, we're forgiven. And because of the new birth, now we're a son of God. So I'm going to transition from, from that issue of the finished work and being forgiven to the new birth. And a, and a different aspect of our identity uh, is not just being forgiven as a sinner, but being a son of God. So something happens when we trust Jesus Christ by faith, and that is we become a son of God. Because the Father... <clears throat> love the world, we have a new nature through the new birth. Again, elementary but important. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. By the way, a verse I had memorized when I was nine years old, but I wasn't saved until I was 17. It took eight years for that, that word to re- not to return void in my heart. God had to add, a, or I had to add a little fertilizer, I guess, to it before it sprung up. But um, <clears throat> John chapter one, verse twelve. Maybe you know this verse, but as many <clears throat> as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, I just want to pause. Both of these verses. Notice he says, um, "Whosoever believeth," unqualified. He didn't say. The Jews, he doesn't say the Gentiles, he doesn't, he just says whomsoever, whosoever believeth in John 3.16. And there's some religions that will tell you, well, that doesn't really mean whosoever. That means whosoever within the context of whoever we say it is. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty cute. No, I don't think so. Who, whosoever. Not to get too far afoot on that, that, does, that has never given me heartburn because I read the end of the Bible. I understand that even though Jesus died to atone for the sins of the world, the gift is only received by them who receive it. He even said, this is the work that you got to do. Believe on me. If you don't believe on him, you still will give account at the great white throne judgment for what he did for you that you didn't receive. And if you want to try to justify yourself with your good works before God, there's a point in which he'll try, he'll let you. And then that blood sacrifice for you will become a witness against you. You ever murdered anybody? Even today, if you murder somebody, that's a high crime. Try murdering the Son of God. See how God the Father deals with that. So it's it's how you want to apply the blood, okay? There's no problem with the atonement. The problem is with humans. Anyway, I, I don't know. I'm I'm throwing that out for not for people probably in this room, but for some others. Uh, so John 1, 12, but as many as receive him, again, it gets to the issue of belief. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Not a works of righteousness that we have done, right? Titus tells us that in chapter 2. It's believing upon what Jesus Christ has already done, that finished work. But that ushers us into a relationship with him. We have a new birth. 
And he says in John 3, 7, Marvel not, speaking to Nicodemus there in John 3, that I, that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Uh, that blew Nicodemus away. He's like, what are you talking about? Born again. Have you been in India over there? Are you, what are you, becoming a Hindu? I mean, what is this born again stuff? Well, you got a, you got a new nature. So, if you've been saved, you're, 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 you understand that being born again is synonymous with believing upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And as it is the work of the Spirit that occurs the moment that we call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. So being born again is clearly defined in Scripture as believing upon the, the, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord. So this, this knowledge comes from, well, it comes from God's Word. It's, it's what, how the Bible defines it. And Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which believe, which liveth and abideth forever. So Jesus is the perfect seed of God, right? He is the offspring of David. He is the, he is the prophesied Messiah. He is the word of God. Uh, and we receive him by receiving the word of God. Receiving God's word is receiving the word of God. Whatsoever he said, we have it written in our, we're fortunate in our language, in English, to have the words of God. Uh, we have the seed of God's word, both written and, of course, when we believe what is said, the word of God, the seed of God's word, uh, comes in our heart and seals our soul. So we are, man, we're, we're covered. But, uh, man, I tell you what, it's, it's important that we, we get that salvation is based on the word of God. It's not based on a on just the, you know, I felt, you know, one day I just felt like I, I was forgiven. Okay. Who forgave you? Do you understand the God? Now, I will say this. It only takes childlike faith. I do think we put hurdles up sometimes for people. And, and of course, we're like, are you sure? You know, well, we don't always know. But if there's someone saved, there will be fruit. Right. You know what a baby does? Typically, they cry. Right? They'll start crying. They'll start wanting food. Uh, there'll be some evidence of salvation. Uh, but receiving God's word is is important to being born again. You know, so anyway, that goes without saying. The seed of God's word. All right, moving on. So uh, the, when it comes to being born again, the Father loved the world, and he and he gave us a new nature through the new birth. God is now your spiritual father. Instead of the devil. Now, again, you're like, well, hey, that's in our D1 lessons. Yes, it is. And, but some of us haven't been through this yet in our D1 lessons. So I'm going to cover this because it's important not only to those in the room, but some that may not be in the room. Um, we, we speak to this in our Discipleship 1 lessons. But, again, it's kind of one of these truths that you never get over. Once you get this down, it really helps you process a lot of things in life and your walk and your confidence toward God. So Jesus makes it clear that God's covenant people, the, the leaders, be turning to John 8. I'm going to have your verse on the screen, but I probably will go a little broader uh, for context than just what I put on the screen. Um, John chapter 8. So be turning there in your Bible. <clears throat> Jesus makes it very clear that God's covenant people, the, the leaders who end up with the authority to turn him over to the Romans, are, their, are of their father, the devil. And, of course, they're offended when Jesus tells them that. So we must be born again because God has fulfilled the law 
through his son. And if you don't receive Jesus, well, you don't have any inheritance in Abraham's seed for sure. So now in John 8, this is going down. Jesus, you know, he's the light of the world and he's presenting himself. He's offering himself to Israel as the Messiah. And he's getting rejected by the Jews as he he offers himself, uh, you know, to the Jews on the Mount of Olives. The scribes and the Pharisees are present. And um, he gets into this discussion. I don't have time to get into all of it. But uh, I'm going to back up before I put this verse on the screen. In verse 33, they answered him and said, We uh, be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? They're like, what are you saying? We got, you know, you're going to set us free. We don't need to be freed from anybody. We're Abraham's seed. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto to you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Getting back to that issue of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. So in, in John eight thirty three through 36, Jesus is graciously offering the leaders of the religious sect of Israel, the Pharisees, the ones who actually know the Bible, he's offering them free pass, guys. Believe on me, and uh, you're the servants. I'm the son, and I'll, I'll pardon you. That's in essence what he's he's trying to get across to him. Is like, hey, I'm here. I'm the light of the world. I'm the, you know, I can set you free. They're like, ah, we don't need you because we're of Abraham's seed. He's like, well, you better check that again because I'm the son. And, of course, he goes on to say, I, I know that you're Abraham's seeds. He doesn't argue that, by the way. They are the legitimate seed of Abraham. They're the covenant people. Uh, you know, twelve tribes, the whole nine yards. This is the, these are the people that should, uh, you know, should receive him. Uh, he's not arguing that. I, I know that you're Abraham's seed. He says in verse thirty-seven, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. So, uh, you know, Jesus, is like, I, I got a little bit of problem with this, seeing that I'm the son and all. <laughs> I mean, if I'm the son and my word is true, then why aren't you receiving it if you're Abraham's seed? He's going to blow their mind in a second. He goes, I, I speak that which I have seen, verse 38, with my father. And then he, he brings this little point up in verse 38. And you do that that ye have seen with your father. Hmm. Notice in the King James Bible, verse 38, capital F, Father in heaven. And, of course, small f, Father. Because uh, there's only one God and Father. Verse 39, then answered and said unto him, uh, they said, and they answered and said unto him, Abraham's your father. Or, I'm sorry, Abraham is our father. And Jesus saith unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. And now he's, he's, he's went to meddling. Okay, they're like, wait a minute. We know who our father is. You, you know, they're going to beat up on him for being born in fornication in a second. But Jesus is, is, they don't even know it. They're getting led right into this thing. Um, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. They're like, wait, wait a minute. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And, and Jesus saith unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But he doesn't stop there. He says in verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. Verse 40, this did not Abraham. 
Now that last part of that verse in verse 40, this did not Abraham. What are you, what, what are you saying, Jesus? You talk to Abraham? As a matter of fact, it's recorded in Genesis 19. You know, I showed up there before I instructed him to destroy uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So I think I got that chapter right. But in 18, okay. Yeah, that makes 666. So uh, so the Jesus shows up in the Old Testament, Christophanes or Theophanes, whatever you want to call those. All right, verse 41. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said unto him, we be not born of fornication. Don't be telling us about fathers. You know, you were born of... Your mom and dad had fornication going on, and you're born in sin. That's basically what they're saying. We have one father, even God. And then Jesus drops the ball on them. Jesus saith unto them, oh, oh, now I'm into my text. Jesus saith unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. That's who your father really is. He's in verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. I know who your father is, because you're acting just like him. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Now, he goes on to say, which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you you not believe me? And, of course, we know they didn't receive Jesus, and this was a witness against them. Uh, Of course, some did, Nicodemus did. But for the most part, they rejected Jesus. And what is this really about? And this is why I'm here, and it goes into what we're talking about tonight. It's really about identification. It's so ironic. When we're lost, we're like, oh, I'm not of the devil. Or we make light of it, run in with the devil, yeah, yeah, let's rock on. But then when you get saved, you actually, your father is in heaven. Jesus has, has atoned for your sin, you're forgiven, you have a new father, and yet you have identity crisis thinking the devil's your father. And why is that? Because we don't receive the truth. Now these guys, their father was the devil, of course, even though they were religious. There's a lesson there. Um. But now that you're born again, you have a heavenly father. And and the devil is not your father. Now, I'm not going to get into We got D2, D1 lessons for this. We get into this. If you want to learn more about this, I'll just a little commercial for our discipleship. right? We have a Bible study where you can just sit down and slow roll this stuff with somebody across the kitchen table or at the coffee shop or uh, wherever in your living room. And they'll just walk you right through what we're talking about. And that's where we start is just salvation eternal life and how all this goes together in your nature your identity is is huge though you are now if you're born again you're a son of god and so um you're and your father is god instead of the devil i noticed i just realized i've left okay yeah there it is my notes are wrong but yours is right so that's good so um next thing is we need to understand our relationship Uh, with god as our father it helps us connect uh, and interact with 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 love with our brethren and sisters in christ so in john 13 35 the bible says by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another 
if we don't have a proper relationship with God as our father, we're not going to honor his, his, his siblings, our brethren, are we? And so Hebrews, I mean, it's pretty simple here in Hebrews 13.1. You know, he says, let brotherly love continue. That's it. I mean, let it go. Keep on. And then, and I literally, this is a sampling of verses. I could have done three times this many. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for yourselves are taught of God to love one another. I mean, God teaches us that. If you're born again, you know in your heart you should love your brother, and you don't need me to tell you that, although I say that a lot. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be uh, therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Now, we always go to Galatians 5 and talk about the fruit of the Spirit. What's the first mention of the nine fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, right? It's that internal love that God puts in our heart. And so our relationship with God the Father, when you know you're loved and God has given all of that for you, I mean, it's hard not to love others. And so there are many more verses that I could look at, but the, the fact that we, we all share the same Father in the body of Christ gives us an ability to reveal a love and unity in this world that is simply not available to the lost world. It is unique to the body of Christ. It's unique to a local church. That's why if you've ever been on a mission, how many of you have been on a foreign missions trip? Okay, several of us. Very 50% maybe, 40%. So you, you don't have to trust me. You can ask any of these folks. Would anyone disagree that's been on a foreign mission field that when you leave your culture, you leave everything, and you walk in, and everything's foreign, right? You're in India. I mean, you can't get much more foreign and 180 degrees backwards, right? <clears throat> and then, at least from our perspective, and then you walk into the, the presence of believers, and boom. It's like, wow, I'm home. I don't understand all that. It's, it's incredible. One of the reasons you need to go on a foreign mission trip is just to experience that. You're in Africa. You're in India. You're in Europe. They don't speak your language. And don't, and don't let the missiologists tell you, oh, it's because we've exported American culture to around the world. Now, there is some of that that's true. But the reality is that isn't American culture. That's Jesus. That's Jesus when you show up. I mean, I mean, you know it is. You bear witness with your spirit that these are the sons of God, and they don't speak my language. They're beating on a bongo, or whatever. I mean, it's like totally different. I mean, the guys are over here, the girls are over there. They got their head covered. I mean, it's totally different culture. But you're like, wow, this is like home. You know, got the shoes off. Everybody's packed in. All the whole church could fit on half of our sanctuary up here. You know, about a hundred people could sit up here and have church. And Jeff's nodding back. That Jeff, Jeff's been there. Am I wrong? No, it, I'm not. I, it's not us. It's not. It's not exporting American values. That's called the Holy Spirit of God working in the body of Christ. There's something about Jesus Christ in His body. That there's a love that goes on there. That's a supernatural love. And I hope when people walk into HBF, lost people, saved people, I don't care. When they walk into HBF, I hope they, they kind of sense that. Like, there's something, there's something divine going on here. This is supernatural. I, I know for me, when I got saved, guys, I never, it just wasn't natural to hug up on, you know, I hadn't met Mark Lockwood, right? So I, it just wasn't natural to hug up on a man, you know, 
It just was like, you know, I, even I was a wrestler, right? There's like a code though, a bro code. You don't, there's certain, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll grab you and throw you down, but I'm not going to like embrace you. I mean, that's kind of make my skin crawl a little bit. But you know what? There's something about coming into church and these grown men, they just wrap their arms around me. Oh, it's good to see you. It just melted my heart because it was pure. It was authentic. And it was like, wow. Next thing you know, I'm like, hey, let's hug it up. I like doing that to Jan Van Niekerk. He just like, he's still like, oh, don't do that. <laughs> so now I just seek out those brothers that freak out, you know, just give them a big old embrace. So anyway, I hate to say it, but I kind of do that. Jeff can testify to that. <laughs> so so uh, it's just something about the love of God. Now I'm not saying, I am not saying that you have to, hug people to demonstrate the love of God any more than a holy kiss if you're in Europe, right? Because that kind of freaks me out too. So, uh, but you know, it is what it is. The point is there, there is a, there is a divine, there is a divine, uh, nature. There's the spirit of God, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, all of the fruit of the spirit should be manifest in the body of Christ. And love is a preeminent aspect of that. So, <clears throat> uh, the sad thing is Satan tries to corrupt our communion with the Father and one another to minimize our influence through the mission. Uh, so that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We recognize how the finished work of Jesus Christ impacts our vertical, as we talked about in the last session, in our horizontal relationships, and it literally corrects our hearts and allows the light of the gospel to shine brightly through the lives individually and corporately of the body of Christ. Uh, I didn't... I didn't... Uh, I'm going to, I gave this verse. I got another one or two I could add, but I didn't. Uh, second, second Corinthians 4, 3 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. So who really gets affected is, is the lost people. In whom the God, small g, right, the father is the devil, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, there's a lot there. So in Matthew, these aren't in your notes, but in Matthew 11, when he says, Hey, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah, it is. I mean, Jesus' burden is light. We are light-bearing beings. So when he says in Philippians chapter 2 that we're to be a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, he's not kidding. I mean, our, the burden that we bear is to be a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, to be a, a light in the midst of a people that are in darkness, to be, a, to, to be demonstrating the love and the light of Christ to people who don't know him. So, point C. Because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, you have been adopted. All right, so let's get this down. You've been forgiven. You have been uh, called a son of God. And I didn't even exhaust all those verses. I could have gone on about being a son of God. I didn't even give you First John chapter 3. So you can go over there and look at that, add that to your notes. Behold, the matter of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Um, <clears throat> but we're also adopted. I rush to this. Romans 8. Romans eight fifteen. For, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. That you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. 
Now, there's a lot I can say about this. The the uh, the again, we're dealing with servants. Remember what you remember what Jesus told those Pharisees. He goes, "Hey guys, you're servants. I'm the son. Uh, we're, we're, we serve because we, you know." Galatians tells us a child. Well, now I'm butchering it. I normally have that at the top of my head. Though he be Lord of all. From a servant, though he be Lord of all. That's it. Galatians 4 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, therefore nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, right? The one who was trying to let those Pharisees go free, made of, of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. There's an adoption verse there, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 5. So so this adoption thing, I've, I've heard some people say, oh, well, I'm not adopted, I'm born again. Well, you're both. And I'll tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. I'm not going to tell you why. The Bible's going to tell you why. The Spirit of God ensures, point one, your spiritual... Oops. Uh, and your physical adoption in the kingdom of God. So the scripture clearly teaches that our relationship as sons of God has given us the spirit of adoption. I, I'm not I'm not saying that. Uh, the word of God says that. If you go back to Romans chapter 8, it, that's what it says. I mean, that literally is what it says. <clears throat> so... Um, Verse 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, there is some context to this that we do need to get into. God is teaching us about the inheritance that comes through our new birth. So uh, I like the way God includes both birth and adoption in the inheritance of the divine nature. In Romans 8, it clearly breaks down into two phases uh, of our adoption. The first is spiritual adoption. So if you have Romans uh, 8 open, you can look at it. I'll have a verse here on the screen, but this is, again, an, uh, another passage you might want to be looking at in the Bible. In Romans 8 and verse 12, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. So he's talking to save people. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the, of the body, ye shall live. Of course, a mortician is someone who... Um, prepares a dead body right for the funeral and we're to mortify the deeds of the body our flesh and you know what then you'll have a good life for as many as are led of the spirit of god they are the sons of god so just to be clear he is talking about sons of god the context leading up to this is talking about sons of god people that are born again so why is he getting into this adoption thing if we're sons of god for you have not well i'm going to the bible's going to tell us for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to Fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So technically, he is not dealing with our salvation. He's dealing with our inheritance. And, and, and what's been adopted because of our new birth. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ... If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be, uh, be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
that glory, that light, that light that's going to be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Even creation is waiting for this. For the creature was made subject uh, to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So the animal kingdom is looking forward to the millennium. That's what he's saying. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. Okay, that's the second part of the adoption. So what you see here is the first part is found in verse 15. And if you've got a highlighter or a pencil or something, you might want to point that out. There's two aspects to this adoption. When you get saved, you are spiritually adopted, right? You are you are brought into the family. Jew or Greek, it doesn't matter. You are a new creature. Your, your very nature has changed, and that of a into that of a son of God. They're not exclusive. I mean, they're not. They're not. It doesn't mean because you're born again and a son of God, you're not adopted. Because the Bible says you are. He's using two different analogies here. But what he's really pointing out here is that there is a spiritual adoption, right? There's a spiritual. Um, a spiritual nature and man all of creation is is like waiting for us to be manifest so what's going to happen well eventually our whole body's going to be changed so spiritually the moment that we're saved we are changed internally but we'll be adopted physically at the resurrection when we get a glorified body that's what he's talking about in verse 23 that's the second part of it right the first the first mention uh, or the first adoption is a spiritual adoption in verse 15. The spirit of adoption, capital S, the Holy Ghost. When you get saved, that Holy Ghost comes in you. And we'll talk about this, <clears throat> probably not tonight, but in the in the next half of this. And <clears throat> your identity gets changed. I mean, you are in Christ. Though you're a, a child, differs nothing from a servant. We already saw that. So <clears throat> we serve God, and that's what we do. But God has a plan for us. It's to be heirs, join heirs with Christ, not servants, heirs. He has, he's brought us in. He has adopted us into the promises of God. I mean, all the way in. Not, we're, we're not Jews. We're a new creature. We are sons of God. It's, it's huge. But not only that, when you get to verse 23, Paul's saying, oh, there's more. Oh, by the way, we're, we're waiting for the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? Likewise, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know uh, not what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And by the way, that is the right translation, the Spirit itself, because God says in the gospels he will not speak of himself that's why it doesn't say some of the there's people that say that should say the spirit himself that's why it doesn't say himself it says itself anyway <clears throat> i got that thrown at me at a bible study one time by a king james guy even so <clears throat> so we are adopted spiritually the moment we're saved but we're waiting Remember earlier we were talking about our identification and we're like, oh, I have this guilt complex. I hate my flesh. La, 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 la. You know what that is? That's you groaning, waiting for the adoption of your body. 
right? That's what all 1 Corinthians 15 is all about, is we get a glorified body. We get a, we get a whole new body. Those that are alive at the catch, coming away, the catching of the church, catching away of the church, we get changed in an instant. But even if you're not, you go down in the dirt and you're like a seed, but when you come up, you're in a whole other state, right? And Paul points that out in 1 Corinthians 15. What goes in the dirt is nothing compared to what comes out. You drop an apple seed in the dirt, well, it's a little apple seed. But when a tree comes up, it's completely different. It's much more glorified, right? That's the way our bodies are going to be in glory. So we have a, internally, we've been set aside spiritually. Our souls are sealed to the day of redemption. But someday our body will be as well. So the redemption is complete. Not just our soul, but even our body. Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that. So this body, my flesh and the blood in here... In going, in going forward, God has left this carcass here so I can function. Even though I'm a fully functional son of God, I am as, I'm as supernatural right now as I'm going to be uh, in 150 years from now and 1,000 years from now, 10,000 years from now. I'm still just as supernaturally saved and, and internally eternal. <laughs> like, that's a really messed up way of saying that in grammar. But I'm eternal. You're eternal if you're saved. Eternity, I was sitting in, an H, in a shepherd school class and Alan Shelby was teaching and he said, and he made this statement that just my brain just exploded. And he said, "Eternity started for you the day you got saved." And it just instantly clicked. I'm like, "It did. I'm eternal. That's why death has no sting. That's why we look forward to death because we get more, right? God has left us in this state. Well, we already saw why God left us in this state. He prayed it in John 17. Don't take them out of the world." I need them to make disciples. I got work for them to do. The only reason we're left here after our salvation is to make disciples. And so understanding our identity is so important to all of this. Understanding you're forgiven. You're born again. God has a job for you, and he's left you here, and only half of this adoption process has been done because he's left you here in this old carcass. This this flesh and blood carcass ain't going to make it, but it'll keep you here long enough to make disciples. Because that's the mission of God. Go you therefore and teach all nations. That's your identity. That's your mission. That's the work that you need to, and I need to be doing. That's what the church is here to do. And that's what this church in particular is here to do. So let me finish up with this tonight. <clears throat> well, I still got a little more time. Romans eight twenty two says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain. I already read this. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit even, now notice it's, it's plural there. We, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. So very clearly in verse 23, he, he, he uh, makes it clear that the adoption is equal to the redemption of our body. So yeah, your soul is redeemed, but so will your body be redeemed. So point three. <clears throat> understand our inheritance spiritually and physically helps us help understanding our inheritance uh, spiritually and physically helps us sort out the battle between the flesh and the spirit. So like you, all brothers and sisters in Christ are dealing with the dynamics of their adoption. They got the groaning going on too. It's clear that our inheritance in eternity will be impacted by the choices we make now in our body. And I would add, in the body of Christ. Now, as you read this, this is very clearly dealing with, and, and 1 Corinthians 15 as well, is dealing with our 
individual bodies. But there's also an aspect of how our individual body affects the body of Christ. We do have an impact on one another. God not only redeems us as individuals, but he also redeems the body of Christ as a whole. And we all function as a unit, as 1 Corinthians 12 lays out, Romans chapter 12. And so uh, so this Romans 8 is dealing with inheritance, both your uh, your spiritual, internal, your soul, what God is doing there, and your spirit, but also what God's going to do with your body. There's two aspects of that that's been a taken on, adopted, and changed. And it doesn't come instantly, but it does come positionally. And we'll talk about that next week. Right, So I'm as good as, I'll talk about this next week, how I'm as good as seated together in heavenly places in Christ, but yet I'm standing here. And all this, this is practical in, in that it has to deal with our identity and our identification with Christ. So uh, next week, uh, let me let me see here. Now, I'm going to pause right there. I'll finish this up. I'll go ahead and give you the next point just so you can have it, and uh, we'll we'll work on it next week. But... Our identity in Christ should give us security in Christ, and that's a good way to that's a good way to wrap it up. We'll just stop it right there. So you got all your your letters, and then um, we can come back and finish it up next week. So our identity in Christ, as we review that, I'll just pick that up, and that'll give us a good transition into the next point. So our identity in Christ should give us security in Christ. <clears throat> Ultimately, right, knowing that you're forgiven, knowing that you're a son of God. Knowing that you've been adopted, it helps you deal with the groaning, right? Knowing what's going on uh, in that process. And then ultimately, that helps you with your security. And all of that's going to help us understand uh, more and more about who we are in Christ and how we identify with each other. So let me pause right there. There's more to come. That's part A. Any questions or comments or questions or anything that you would have about this subject? hope this is edifying. Yes, ma'am. To wit, um, it's, it comes from like the word witness, so to see. So it's like seeing um, in the tech, in the context there, in verse, uh, yeah, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of your body. So he's saying uh, <clears throat> you, you, the adoption, will be, you'll end up seeing the redemption of your body. And you'll find that phrase to wit. Several places in the King James Bible. So that's a really good question. So, yep, that's a good question. Anyone else? Thank you for asking that. All right. Well, I know for some of you this is like, well, Brian, this is pretty basic. I know all this. Okay, well, and we do. But even, I'll tell you what, I've been saved a long time. It's good just to kind of slow roll and meditate on some of these things and give ourselves over to it because at the end of the day, our, our, what's being attacked, and this kind of gets me back full circle to where we started. As much as we think, oh, yeah, this is simple. Let me tell you, the world right now, this is exactly where they're, we're, we're going to have trouble in the, day, in the days ahead. And people are going to think you're crazy to believe what you believe about the gospel. You know, we've had a pretty good, easy run of it right now. Uh, but the days are coming where in a world where everybody can identify as anything, uh, we're the people that say we're free, and yet they're going to look at you and say, "No, you're in bondage. You're going to take Rome, you're going to take John chapter eight, and that whole discourse is going to be reversed. And people are going to tell you you're in bondage because you follow 
this God, Jesus Christ. And beloved, if you don't really know the Father and you don't really know his love, you might, you'll be liable to believe that lie. And so you've really got to know who you are in Christ so that you can experience freedom from sin. Because the world's going to take this message and reverse it and say, oh, no, no, freedom doesn't come from a relationship with Christ. That limits you in your freedom. Freedom only comes from doing whatever you want, whatever your flesh wants. And so discerning the difference, well, that's spiritual, that's divine. And the world doesn't understand it. They're all about religion. But this, the only way you can get a hold of this truth is to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in, the three things that are so imperative are the Word of God, the Spirit of the living God that lives inside of the believer, and the local New Testament church of God. God has charged me and the pastors of this church to teach the Word of God. Not worry about what the culture says, not worry about what everybody else thinks. What does God say? We have been, we've been charged to do this. That is the work that God has given all of us to do, is to make disciples, to teach these things that he's committed to us, to faithful men. So as you go out of here today, that's really the issue. What kind of son are you? What kind of child of God are you? Are you a faithful child? Are you an unfaithful child? Are you a child controlled by the flesh? Are you a child that is free and walking in the spirit? And your identification with the Father is going to give you so much help with that. Now, none of you, none of us are going to bat a thousand every day, but you're going to be, you're going to get up a lot quicker. A just man falls seven times and he gets up again. You're going to get up a lot quicker when you can understand and you can believe what the Word of God says about who you are, and you won't believe the lies of the devil. And so, just a word to the wise: your identification is so important; it's going to be increasingly important. As the days, I've watched my kids wrestle with that, you know, going to public school and all everything. Uh, I mean, the devil's got a, you know, God's got a, a, a wrench to fit every nut, but the devil's pretty sly too, and uh, and he can argue both sides of a point. So you just got to be careful, and you got to be, you got to be, you got to be really uh, tuned into what the Word of God has to say about your your identity in Christ, or you're going to get beguiled. And that's that's the key. That's how you know you go back to the Garden of Eden, isn't that ultimately what Satan was trying to do? You're not who God said you are. He's holding out on you. The real freedom's over here. Come on, take some liberty. You think you have liberty? Obviously, you don't, right? You know, that's a, I mean, he didn't say any of that, but he's in, that's in essence what he's insinuating is that God's holding out. The true riches are not here. The true riches are over there. And the whole test was who's going to believe God's word? Who's going to hold fast to the faithful word? Or who's going to compromise? Of course, we humans tend to compromise. And nonetheless, Jesus died for our sins because the only perfect man is Jesus. And that's why you got to get back to that finished work. You will let yourself down. You will let others down. You re- we're all going to fail one another. And as we get ready for the Lord's Supper, that's one of the reasons you got to have a right heart. You can't set up standards for other people that you can't keep yourself. So it's imperative that you forgive others because you want forgiveness too. Now, we shouldn't continue in sin that grace may abound. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer there? And we should live a resurrected life. But when and if we do fall and fail, you know what? We avail ourselves of the grace of God, and we extend that grace to other people. We know the standard is the word of God. That's the standard we all should long and groan to keep, even as our flesh fights us tooth and nail along the way. And so because God has grace for us, we have grace for others. And there's love in the body of Christ. 
doesn't mean anything goes when the whistle blows. Uh, we rebuke, we correct, right? We do all of those things, uh, and, and that's all because we have the words of God. And we do it the right spirit, and that's the key, the spirit of the living God that lives within us. Okay, that's my little sermonette there at the end. I've got to throw that on. So let's, uh, let's do this. Let's stand. It's been a long week and night. Let's stand together, and uh, we'll pray together, and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father.